Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Our speaker this evening earned a Master of Divinity degree in May of 1985 and was ordained to the priesthood for the Diocese of Dallas by Bishop Thomas Shope at St. Monica Catholic Church in Dallas, Texas on June 1st, 1985. Completing his canonical studies with a licentiate in canon law, Bishop Joseph Strickland was assigned by Bishop Edmund Carmody as rector of the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Tyler, Texas, June 1994. In 1996, he was named a prelate of honor with the title Monsignor by His Holiness Pope St. John Paul II, chosen as the fourth bishop of the Diocese of Tyler by His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI. Bishop Strickland was ordained to the Episcopacy on November 28, 2012. It is a great honor to welcome to the Institute for the first time, Bishop Joseph E. Strickland. Thank you, Andy. Um, just thought I'd tell you a little bit more about who this man is standing in front of you. I uh, grew up in a little town called Atlanta, Texas. Um, actually, in East Texas, we have a pretty strong accent. <laughs> They've beaten it out of me fairly, fairly well, but if you go to Atlanta, they'll think you're a native if you say, I'm visiting Atlanta, Texas. You have to put the emphasis on the at, Atlanta, Texas. But I grew up in a family with uh, six kids, cradle Catholic. Um, one thing that I, raise your hand if you're a cradle Catholic. Okay, good number. And some smart converts out there too, huh? <laughs> well, I don't want, I'm a cradle Catholic, so I can talk about us. I don't think, because you're in this room, you're exempt from what I'm about to say. But I think too many cradle Catholics are still asleep in the cradle. We need to wake up. And you're here, obviously, because you treasure your, your life in Jesus Christ, your Catholic faith, and you know what a treasure it is. So thank you for being a part of this institute. Um, we started an institute two and a half years ago, more or less, the St. Philip Institute in Tyler, at the Diocese of Tyler. And... Uh, as you talk about ICC, this institute here, after 10 years, y'all are what we want to be when we grow up. <laughs> but one thing to point out there, there are great things happening in the church, this institute, this parish, great things happening. A lot of darkness, a lot of brokenness, a lot of evil, a lot of sin, we can all get down into that, believe me. But let's remember the goodness and the good people of faith. The many converts, we were talking about it at the table this evening, 
All of you who are converts to the Catholic faith, thank you. You didn't, you have your own stories about how you came to the faith. You didn't just get swept up from your cradle and baptized and, and put on this path. So all of you who are converts, thank you, because I think you are a great treasure for this time in the church. One of the things that I liked is, is Andy picked me up at the airport and what I saw here talking about history. I'm sure my brother priests would agree with me. I've often told people that wanted to study the Catholic faith, I've often said, just study history and you will learn about the Catholic faith. Because Western civilization, we probably, many of us have read the book, How Western Civilization Was Saved by the Catholic Church. Well, brothers and sisters, we gotta do it again. We've got to save Western civilization all over again. <clears throat> And on the topic of guarding the deposit of faith, that's what I'm going to be speaking about uh, for probably longer than you want to listen, but they'll, they'll start throwing things at me when it gets a little too long and I'll stop. But guarding the deposit of faith, I think it is something all of us need to really focus on. And I would encourage you to, to let that phrase just become something that you're very familiar with. And we need to watch for the deposit of faith in our daily lives. One of the things that I remember in my days in the seminary at the University of Dallas Holy Trinity Seminary in Irving, Texas, at the end of the meal, we prayed a blessing after meals. Many of you are probably familiar with that. I asked our seminarians, they still do that. And brothers and sisters, I would encourage us all, and believe me, it, you know, habits are hard to revert back to. And I'm trying to remember in all the different gatherings that I'm a part of, I just had dinner with two of my seminarians and a priest that's there on the faculty there at Holy Trinity in Irving, Texas, last night. And I remembered to do it. I'm starting to remember more. That blessing after meals. And that's how I like to start as we reflect on the deposit of faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We give thee thanks, Almighty God, for these and all thy benefits. And may the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I know that the souls of the faithful departed are saying, way to go, thank you. <laughs> One more prayer, thank you. For those in purgatory, part of our Catholic deposit of faith. <clears throat> I wanted to begin with that because I think it's important that we recognize you probably all, all of you are here because you, you love Christ, you love his church, you've studied, you're part of this institute, you're engaged Catholics. And you're probably very familiar with that phrase, the deposit of faith. But I'd encourage us all to expand what it means to us. It really is everything. That little prayer that we just said, and I was pleased to hear so many of you, maybe you pray it very often after every meal. Thank you. I'd encourage you to return to that if you don't. But many of you knew that prayer 
just like we can um, begin, bless us, O Lord, and everybody chimes in. That's the deposit of faith. It, it certainly is deep theological truth that we'll talk about a little bit this evening, but it's everything that Jesus Christ has revealed to us, a living deposit of faith. And I think that's what we need to really be aware of, because brothers and sisters, one of the reasons I've begun to focus on it, and I'm sure that's why Andy uh, and others of the Institute arranged for me to give this talk, because I've been talking about the deposit of faith quite a bit, because it's threatened. There are many aspects of the deposit of faith that too many Catholics, and certainly too many in our country and in our world, not just in the United States, we got our problems, ab absolutely. But there are other countries. My mother's from Sydney, Australia. Australia's a mess as far as the faith. Whatever you think about Cardinal Pell, I don't know all the details there, but that's a mess. It just is a mess. People are losing the deposit of faith. And we're in danger of the same thing, but I don't want this evening to be a downer at all because the deposit of faith is that deposit of the life and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and his good news. So let's remember, guarding the deposit of faith is something we're all charged to do in one way or another. As I begin, I'd like to really bring it into focus. What is the deposit of faith? And brothers and sisters, what I would propose to you for your own prayer and reflection, it's not a what. The deposit of faith is Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, as Andy was, I think he was looking for the word eternal, you know, as he, he talked earlier. Um, God is eternal, and Jesus Christ, his son, is eternal. The eternal second person of the Trinity, as we know him, through revelation, through the deposit of faith. But I think that's where we start. Jesus Christ, this person, the second person of the Trinity, the second person of God, the Son of God, the incarnate Word, all the different ways we can think about Jesus Christ. He is the deposit of faith. And I'd encourage you to kind of put that lens on your own discovery of the deposit of faith in your life. Whatever aspects of faith, they all come ultimately from the truth that Jesus Christ has revealed to us. I think to remember, because very often as a priest and bishop, I hear people, especially in the evangelical Protestant world where I live, which ultimately in East Texas is a pretty comfortable world because the evangelical Protestants and many of the moral teachings, they're very pro-life. They're very moral Marriage between a man and a woman, that's it, period. So the evangelical Protestants are with us, and I'm sure there are many in this area, even though you're more Catholic in this area than we are in East Texas. 
but to remember as a kid, I grew up with people asking me, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? That's how they talk in East Texas. You might hear that in the grocery store. It's a very evangelical area, which is a blessing. But remembering that as Catholics, absolutely, we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. And it's the person of Jesus Christ that we're called to engage with, to learn about, to know that in the Old Testament and the New, as we all know theologically, Jesus Christ is woven into everything that is revealed to us. And so as we come to know Him, we come to know more of the deposit of faith. As we come to know more of the deposit of faith, we come to know more of Jesus Christ. And He leads us, of course, to the Father in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So the deposit of faith is everything Catholic. So in about 30 minutes more, I'll cover everything Catholic for you. That's, Andy didn't give me much of a job. It's, it's easy, just everything Catholic. But where I would really encourage us all to begin is right here, in your own heart, in your own life, cradle Catholic, convert, young, old, wherever you find yourself. Ultimately, we are all where we need to start with living the deposit of faith. And to me, that is something that we need to really hang on to as our hope. Because we can all read or see videos and see headlines and see news clips that are horrifying. I mean, we could spend the evening. We're not going to do that. But we could spend the evening saying, what horrible thing did you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? Horrible things, totally devoid of human value, much less being created in the image of God as we are. And so it needs to start with each of us, valuing who we are. We are children of God. The scriptures tell us that very clearly. We're baptized to be priest, prophet, and king, every one of us. And we're called to live this deposit of faith. So one way that I would encourage us all to think about this topic of the deposit of faith is it's about a personal relationship between Jesus Christ, who is faith incarnate, truth incarnate, the Word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, and us. Every single one of us, we're called to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, the deposit of faith. And so that's why I would encourage us all to begin with ourselves. And when we're devastated by the next headline and the next problem, or maybe it's an issue in your own family, something you hear from one of your children or your grandchildren, a neighbor. We all hear bad news, and it can, it can really get us down. I would encourage us to be people who remember, ultimately, even as a bishop, yes, I have greater responsibility than you have, but 
ultimately, what can we do? We can be a faithful disciple. These two great priests that are here, ultimately, the best way they can be the priests that Jesus Christ needs them to be is to be the truest disciple they can. And then Christ will work through them in his priesthood. And we're all a priestly people. He will do that for all of us. I wanted to share a prayer from, it's actually just a portion of Psalm 69 that I think brings into focus what I would hope we can all reflect on as we continue to look a little more specifically of when we talk about the deposit of faith, it's everything Catholic. Well, I'm not going to walk out the door now and say, okay, I talked about the deposit of faith. We do need to get a little more detail, but it's impossible, obviously, to cover all the details. But I think to bring it into this focus from Psalm 69, God, you know my folly. My faults are not hidden from you. Let those who wait and hope for you, Lord of hosts, not be shamed because of me. Let those who seek you, God of Israel, not be disgraced because of me. I think as we reflect on the deposit of faith, I take that to heart, and I think we all can and should, that every one of us is an evangelizer. We're a person that can bring another person closer to Jesus Christ. Maybe in very specific ways. As Catholics, at least in my experience, we're not like the evangelical Protestants, at least in my experience as a cradle Catholic. If you've ever stood in the grocery line and asked someone, if you have taken Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're a little different flavor Catholic than me, and I commend you. <laughs> But in my experience as Catholics, we don't tend to do that. But we need to really believe and know. And I have heard this, and many, and my brother priest, I'm sure, have heard the same thing. In our RCIA classes, when converts are coming, very often we would ask, what brought you here? What made you want to study the Catholic faith? And it's happening right now in the midst of all the brokenness. People are coming to our churches and wanting to study the Catholic faith. And you all know the answer. It's you. It's people of faith. Very often, the answer that I get in those classes is that a Catholic person, whether in their family, many times a spouse, but some Catholic that they have come to know in relationship, they've seen something that they wanted to learn more about. And that is you living the deposit of faith in that relationship and sharing your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe in very subtle ways, probably as Catholics, in order to really reconvert Western civilization. That's a big job. But in order to do so, we probably need to get a little more overt about living our faith with joy, with good news, with strength, to know we do have a deposit of faith. 
But just like the scriptures images tell us, we're not to bury that. We're to share it and let it multiply. And I encourage you to do that in the ways you interact with others, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you associate with people. Know that you're already doing that. But let's consciously choose to be about guarding the deposit of faith. To get to that a little bit more specifically, part of my own reflection, how many of you have ever been to the ordination of a bishop? Okay, a few of you. It's a beautiful liturgy, as is the ordination of a priest. But one of the questions a bishop is asked, which is different than the ordination of a priest, is will you guard the deposit of faith entire and incorrupt? And back in 2012, in Caldwell Auditorium in Tyler, Texas, before Cardinal DiNardo, who was the ordaining prelate at my ordination, I said I do to that question. Will you guard the deposit of faith entire and incorrupt? You know, another question or another place where that question is asked, I don't know if you have the tradition here of installing pastors formally, but that question is asked of your pastor as well. Will you guard the deposit of faith? And I've taken that and prayed about that and taken that very seriously as a bishop in this present time, because I feel a responsibility to guard the deposit of faith. Some of you, <laughs> I always laugh when I, I talk about this, because uh, back when I was a kid, you know, probably we're all looking around, we're all old enough to remember Sylvester and Tweety Bird. <laughs> well, I remember Sylvester and Tweety Bird. If somebody had told me when I was a 10-year-old kid, when you're 60 years old, you'll be tweeting <laughs> I would have said, what? <laughs> but I do tweet. <laughs> and sometimes I think, uh, thank you for the uh, applause from one person. <laughs> sometimes I think I'm crazy for doing that. But I try to use it as an avenue of supporting the deposit of faith. And as I've said, I really believe that St. Paul and other of, of the apostles may very well have used Twitter if it had existed in their time. It certainly gets crazy, and I've been called some names that I don't use those words ever, much less in public. But, um, you know, that's the world we live in. You can say the sky is blue and somebody can attack you. Um, but I have chosen to use Twitter to evangelize, to get out the truth of the deposit of faith, to do part of my job, to guard the deposit of faith. Whether it's effective or not, um, I just try to put the truth out there. Occasionally, I get into a little bit of a scuffle, but... That's, the, that's what happens when you're proclaiming the truth, because there are people in the church and certainly in our society who don't want the truth, 
and don't want us to have the truth. But the truth prevails. We, we trust in Christ. It's his church. That's another focus as we think about the deposit of faith. Take a breath. When we get frustrated, and we all do, especially if you ever read Twitter, ugh, it can be mind-boggling, but I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. But um, we all get frustrated. But remember, how do we counteract that? As I already said, be the holiest disciple you can be. Go back to your own personal holiness and do better. And I can talk to myself constantly. As a bishop, I need to pray more. I need to be holier. I need to be more focused on the Blessed Virgin Mary, more focused on the Eucharist, more focused on the deposit of faith. But that's true for all of us. So when we get down, remember, get holier, and remember, it's Christ church. He's got this. He promised the gates of hell will not prevail. They won't. It may take different forms than we expect. It may not go the direction that we want, but the church will continue because truth incarnate lives among us, and that's part of the deposit of faith. So as a bishop, I have that responsibility. It's a promise among several promises that a bishop makes to care for the church in very specific ways. But guarding the deposit of faith really hit me between the eyes because I see it eroding in too many ways. And the best way for all of us to counteract that erosion is to love the faith, to know that it is good news, to be joyful about that good news. And when someone contradicts it, or tries to change it, we speak up lovingly, but with strength. And we say, no, this is the truth, guarding the deposit of faith. I place it in uh, trying to whittle down everything Catholic into something somewhat manageable. I have six points that I'd like to uh, conclude with as we continue this evening to focus on, okay, what are some elements of the deposit of faith that is Jesus Christ and his truth? What are some elements that we really need to recognize are under attack? They're not just threatened, they are under attack. And many people have already said, we've won, that are against the truth. It, it, it won't last. Nothing that is not of the truth of Jesus Christ will ultimately last. It may last our lifetime, but it won't last. And we have to always have that perspective. The categories that I see, and certainly this is just my way of trying to whittle it down to something that's a bit more manageable than everything. One thing that I think one category, and there's several things built into it, for guarding the deposit of faith, is who is God? Who is God for us? We need to really reflect on that, and we'll go a little more deeply into each of these. Who is God, and who are we? Who are we as 
human beings. Many people in today's world, I, I have the theory that a lot of our problems go to those two basic questions. Too many people are saying God doesn't exist. And so the who is God questions are already dispensing with, so we don't have to worry about that. And if they're, if they're in that place, they're no, never going to figure out who they are. It's just not going to work. Just like Andy was alluding to, we come from a trinity. We come from a community of love. We are relational beings. We're related to all of that. If we unplug from God, we're never going to figure out who we are. And when, what we see evidence of in our world is the more unplugged people are, the crazier it gets. And sadly, the more harm is done to children of God. Let me just pause there as those, just those first two and be very clear, because as a Catholic bishop, I get accused of being bigoted, being antiquated, being this old man who, who doesn't know what modern life is about. The reality is, when we return to Jesus Christ, every person is a precious, valuable treasure, a unique expression of God's life that can never be repeated. So as Catholics, we are always the exact, complete, total opposite of bigoted. Does that mean that sometimes I'm a sinner? We all are. We can slip into that. But as Catholics, we have to pull away from any bigotry, any denigration of another person. But that gets twisted in our world into being accused. I mean, as a bishop, you should have seen some of the tweets. Horrible things that people say when I try to stand up for some of the deposit of faith. So these two, I believe, are the most foundational. Who is God? And I, I know it goes without saying here, but there is no question there is God. As Andy said, everything that is flows from God. We all know that just from our basic catechism. But we need to refocus on that basic deposit of faith. Who is God? Who are we? And then to branch out a little further, we need to look at the nature of the church. We need to be able to unapologetically embrace that this is the church that Jesus Christ established. It's in the gospel. We all know that. I know I'm preaching to this very large choir, but we need to kind of remind ourselves as we steep ourselves in this deposit of faith. And I think we need to explore and understand more deeply. So as like Andy said, to share with others, sometimes in just over coffee after mass, maybe there's somebody that really is sort of on the edge of not continuing in their Catholic faith. Maybe we can help them come to understand more deeply what the nature of the church is. Sinful, broken, absolutely, but one holy Catholic and apostolic.
That's the church. Those four marks, the deposit of faith, we need to return to. So the nature of the church and the nature of the sacraments, I think that's a key aspect of the deposit of faith that is under great threat in the church today with people losing an understanding of what our sacramental treasure house really is. And then the last two categories, human sexuality. What does that mean? How did God make us? What is God's plan for the man and the woman? Man, is that messed up. And then the nature of marriage, very specifically, goes back to one of the sacraments, but it's such a foundational element of the deposit of faith that when that underpinning is pulled out, as we see, chaos ensues. So once again, just to, I see a few of you taking notes, just to uh, review the first category, who is God? The second category, who are we? The third, the nature of the church. The fourth, the nature of the sacraments. The fifth, human sexuality. And the sixth, the nature of marriage. Certainly, we can go into tremendous depth into any of those, but I do want to focus a little bit more specifically on those broad areas. Let's go to number one. We know who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. About as basic as it gets. A lot of people in the culture that we live in really don't have that concept of God. And even as Catholics, we need to not just automatically make the sign of the cross as growing up, I was an uncle by the time I was 11 years old. So I've, I've hung around little kids all my life. I love little kids. And you see the, the, the tiniest infant. I mean, you know, they imitate, don't they? And, and I love to see them beginning to make the sign of the cross. It looks like, you know, they're scratching their head or something because they probably think that's all we're doing. Going back to the deposit of faith and everything I've already talked about, part of what we all need to do in these categories is to be more intentional. Talk to your kids and your grandkids or a kid in the neighborhood or any kid that'll listen. Now, why do we do that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are marked with the cross of Christ. We are marked with who God is. At the, the very essence of God is that trinity of persons. To be Christian is to believe in that trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is God. As Andy alluded to, that, that core relationship, and it immediately takes us to who we are. But we have to start with remembering who God is. And most importantly, I think you'll all agree with me, the most important thing we need to remember about God, it's not me. And it's not you, Tom. Sorry. <laughs> You're not God. 
I mean, very seriously, I think a lot of what's broken in this guarding the deposit of faith, you can trace it back to, and we've all seen the crazy headlines and probably dealt with heartbreaking stories in your own families and your circle of friends, where if you trace it back, they think they're God. They're deciding their own life. They're deciding who they're going to be and maybe changing it tomorrow, and then the next day changing again. We're not God. And, and it, it sounds very simple, but sometimes the simpler things are things that we really need to refocus on. God is in heaven. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. God is all love. God is abundant charity, but we're not God. But even as I say we're not God, the wondrous thing that has been revealed to us, and maybe the, the very core of the deposit of faith that we most importantly need to nurture is the wondrous beings that God has created us to be. In God's image, too often, I think, again, the issues we face, we're trying to create God in our image rather than saying, we're created in the image of God. What does that mean? But we are created in the image of God. And if you look at all of the theology, you can read Thomas, all of the theological texts, it really comes down to that wondrous call that we have to share the life of God in eternal intimacy with God. That is who we are. We are created in God's image to journey through this life and the great mystery that it is to share everlasting life with God. As um, it was mentioned, as uh, Andy was introducing me, I studied canon law. Probably a lot of you uh, haven't studied canon law, and I didn't notice it as one of the, the courses. <laughs> Honestly, when I was told by our first bishop, Father Joe, you need to go study canon law, I said, do I have to, Daddy? I didn't want to study canon law. I found it to be very enriching. But the last canon in the code of canon law says all of this, all these complex laws, all of it is about the salvation of souls. And we need to remember that because that's who we are. We're souls created in God's image, journeying through this life, however long this life is, and with the destiny of everlasting life with God. And there are too many threats to that where certainly we don't believe in God. And if we don't believe in God, we're never going to figure out who we are. Then to look quickly at the nature of the church. The church established by Christ. Certainly a fractured community. One holy Catholic and apostolic and also broken from the very beginning. As we were saying at the table at dinner, one-twelfth of the group of apostles blew it. So one-twelfth of the church has always been a mess. So that's our reality. But the church is holy. And I think we need to, to really help each other 
be strong in that basic truth. The church is holy with all the brokenness and all the horrible things that need to be cleaned up and the mistakes we bishops make and the, the ways that things need to change. Remember the holiness because it is Christ who is the deposit of faith. The nature of the sacraments. The main thing I would want to highlight there, I mean, we've got seven sacraments, all beautiful fonts of the life of Christ. The Eucharist. Probably many of you are familiar with St. John Bosco. I would encourage you to Google St. Bon John Bosco's vision. He sees a vision of the church as a ship, very often an image of the church, in a terrible storm. And we probably all know the pillars that he sees in this vision, the pillar of the Eucharist and the pillar of the Virgin Mary. Those pillars are our pillars as well. We've all seen the, the survey. Uh, so, you know, X percentage of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Wrong. And we need to deepen our faith in our devotion and our reverence to the real presence, Christ really present, and trust that in the mystery of Christ, that will help bring others. Maybe sitting in the pew next to you. Show great devotion. Don't let it turn into a theater. And hopefully, I, I think in this diocese, from what I understand, you've got a great bishop and good things are on the way. Hopefully you have that reverence at Mass, but encourage that. And the best way to encourage it is going back to being holy yourself, being reverent yourself, being prepared well, going to confession and preparing to receive the body of Christ. Human sexuality, number five, very simple. God made us male and female, period. That's it. Genesis tells us, again, we're not, we can't be bigoted. We can't reject those who are in this terrible confusion. But the only thing we can do is pull them out of that with love, let them know Christ, and, and help them navigate that confusion with those two choices, male and female. And then the nature of marriage to conclude with, with the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, we really tried to highlight that in our diocese because, you know, this brokenness that we're dealing with in 2019, it didn't happen overnight. And it didn't all start in 1968 when people rejected Humanae Vitae. But that's, that's a key element. And I've talked to many couples that have experienced a conversion in their own life. I've never been married. I don't know personally the challenge of living up to the church's teaching against contraception. But look at the world today. Paul VI prophetic, I think it's in number 14 of Humanae Vitae, he says very clearly what's going to happen if people ignore God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman, open to the procreation of children. When contraception took off in the Catholic world, many bishops rejected Humanae Vitae and encouraged the people to dissent from that teaching. That's 
certainly not the only element, but that's a basic element of a lot of the brokenness we see. We need to go back to the deposit of faith. And that's what we're trying to do in many dioceses I know are really working on better marriage formation. We are in the Diocese of Tyler. We need to help young couples that are entering into marriage to know the joy and the challenge of living God's plan. Once again, we're not God. And we humbly bow to a plan that sometimes doesn't make sense or we can't figure out and very difficult to live out. We fail. But those are what it means to, to live the deposit of faith. I know that uh, I need to conclude. And in conclusion, once again, I would just bring it back to me, to each of us individually. How do we live this deposit of faith? By seeking deeper holiness for our own personal journey. That's a daily challenge for me, for all of us. To do a little more penance, not just during Advent and Lent, certainly then, but look for little penitential practices in your daily life throughout the year and offer those penances for the broken church that we, and broken world that we are a part of. Trust that your own small sacrifices or large sacrifices can really make a difference. So I would conclude by when we think about the deposit of faith, it's not just something out there in big theological text. It's there because it's everything. But most importantly, it's how am I living as a son or daughter of God? How am I living holiness and tomorrow seeking to be a little holier, a little closer to the Lord than I was today? Then the deposit of faith will flourish and will continue to be that treasure that we can hand on to others. So thank you. Um, God bless you. And please pray for the bishops as they meet beginning tomorrow. Thank you, Excellency, for uh, a talk that uh, builds us back up, right? I want to take this opportunity to announce our latest course, Canon Law 101. <laughs> <clears throat> We're just going to release it in 2030, I think. So. <clears throat> Real quick, just a, a couple comments before we break and then return for our Q&A. Um, I, I encourage you to read the constitution that um, Bishop Strickland wrote uh, in, when he mentioned the institute that he had founded, the St. Philip Institute. And uh, this constitution that he wrote is the uh, blueprint for that. And in it, he shares a little anecdote uh, towards the beginning of it of uh, when he was at a confirmation, I believe, asking a young gentleman uh, what the Eucharist is. Uh, on this nature of uh, right returning to and understanding the sacraments. And the young man said, how should I know? He goes on to connect that with, uh, doesn't that sound awfully familiar with the story of St. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that he stumbles across on the road and he's reading scripture and puzzled. And St. Philip says, well, do you understand what you're saying? 
He says, how should I know? We've got to be able to go out and be Christ's hands and feet. And uh, I, I, a very practical application, right? We, a theme that kept coming up tonight was this necessity of boldness, of standing for what the church has passed down throughout the centuries. We've got a golden opportunity in front of us. I got to hold myself accountable for this one. Thanksgiving, right? We're going to be sitting around the dinner table and I'm okay. We don't have to like throw down the gauntlet right away. Right. But there's always little times, maybe, you know, you break for dessert and there's coffee or something. You end up sitting next to somebody. What if we all just, I don't know, made a commitment. We're going to bring something up that was substantial. And uh, my bet would be that the very people that we think are going to be offended by this are just begging for us to talk about something real. And may we have the courage to do that. Um, Also, before we break, uh, a couple other things. One is some talks that connect to tonight. If you are on our email list, we'll be sending out a recording of tonight's talk along with other links to talks in our library uh, uh, that relate to tonight. Uh, but it's going to be a long one because there are, um, you know, the nature of the church, nature of the sacraments, human sexuality, there'll be a whole long list of talks that we can point you to in the library. Uh, but I also want to mention a couple ones. One, uh, on that first theme that started the talk, this, I, the, the centrality of the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I would recommend to you. It's a two part series by father Hezekiah, Deus Caritas S, a new evangelization in the heart of Jesus. If you uh, want to pick up on the theme of the nature of the family, familiaris consortio, the family under attack by, I would suspect that you were dear friends, His Excellency Bishop Robert Morlino. Also, uh, lastly, Father Scalia gave a talk, The Errors of Modernism. The Errors of Modernism. If you're ever like uh, starting to get, I mean, we shouldn't get fed up, right? That's kind of like, we're getting annoyed or something, but if you're ever picking up on the theme or this theme where thought seems to be uh, centralized on our own feelings rather than on objective reality, uh, there is a reason why that has become popular thought. Okay. And it's, if you want to know the history of it, this would be a great talk, the errors of modernism. And those are in the CD rack and they're also available in the library online. Uh, Bishop Strickland, welcome to uh, Pro-Abortion Virginia. Since the pro-life effort was beaten this week, when the pro-aborts took over the legislature, and since the effort lost last year when we elected a viciously pro-abortion governor, and since the pro-life effort was beaten two years ago when we re-elected a pro-abortion Catholic senator, how can we now energize our two bishops to speak up more boldly in a specifically pro-life way? Well, um, it, you know, it's, it's a huge challenge. I, I honestly don't have the magic solution to your question. I think it does go back to all of us being as faithful as possible and really to keep, I'll put it this way, to keep supporting your bishops in making those stands. Honestly, I'm, I'm from Texas. 
And, you know, uh, I think we're all aware that the border issues for Texas and California, all of the southern border, it's a mess. It's been a mess for years. People are suffering. All of that needs to be addressed. But I think there's, there's more focus there than on the, the, the sanctity of life issues, the pro-life issues in Texas. So I think that what I would encourage is that you support your bishops in, in knowing that you want them to really speak on those issues more clearly. Um, you know, it's the, the culture is so broken and the, the life issues are really across the board from conception to natural death, life is threatened. But all we can do is continue to proclaim what the church teaches, part of that deposit of faith. Life is sacred because it comes from God, from conception to natural death. I think we just have to keep repeating that message. There is hope, I think, with, with younger people, um, college age, with, even with some of the issues they're facing that aren't good, they do seem to be more, the, the younger generations do seem to be more respectful for the sanctity of life in the womb. So at least that's a start. But um, I, I wish I had, you know, the, the answer. But I think certainly it's about us being faithful and about lovingly supporting your bishops, and I'm one of them, to, to really speak up on those issues. I mean, that is the, the issue of abortion, like I mentioned, contraception. I think that's one of those seminal issues of brokenness in our culture that is at the root of a lot of the problems that we have. As I've said to people, the terrible violence, the gun violence, um, as Mother Teresa said, uh, I wish I had the exact quote, but she basically says, if you're going to kill children in the womb, you can expect all kinds of violence. And sadly, that's what we see. I think we have to help the culture understand that no innocent life is going to be held sacred if the unborn are not held sacred. Thank you, Your Grace. We have a question coming in online from Deacon Joseph, who asks, um, you mentioned the living deposit of faith. I've heard bishops and priests say that because it's a living deposit, it can change. Please explain because I cannot comprehend truth changing. Well, I'm glad you can't comprehend truth changing because it doesn't. Uh, when you talk about a living deposit of faith, what I mean by that is it has to live in us. Um, there's a lot, and that's one of the topics that is part of guarding the deposit of faith, what's specifically called the development of doctrine. There's a, a, an acceptable way in St. John Henry Newman that was just canonized, really wrote some beautiful uh, dissertations on the development of doctrine properly in the Catholic faith uh, as a convert to the Catholic faith. I think what your question really gets to is that question of development of doctrine. There are forces in the world and even in the church that are basically saying development of doctrine means truth can change. And that really doesn't make any logical sense. We just need to study a little bit of Aquinas to understand that. But 
regardless, even if it could, it, it hasn't changed. It's not going to change. Um, the deposit of faith is really what that's all about. So I think the, the best way we can address the development of doctrine is understanding how doctrine develops properly. Um, I actually, in collaboration with a deacon in our diocese, I think it was a question from a deacon that's, that's online, um, it, we're working on talking about that uh, development of doctrine and one example, he used me as an example. I just celebrated my 61st birthday. I'm different than I was at six. I'm different at 61 than I was at 31, but I'm the same person. That's more organically how doctrine can and does develop. The same truth, just as understood in a more mature way, in a deeper way, but the same truth. To say that the truth changes from this being false to this being true, that is an authentic development of doctrine. Thank you. We're going to conclude with one last question from Lori online. Uh, she writes, Your Excellency, thank you again for your time and your words. Um, you mentioned that we, the church, must save Western civilization again. American and European Catholics are less than a third of the global Catholic family. How can we grow concretely in unity with the church suffering around the world and draw more of our neighbors into the uniqueness of one of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church? Man, y'all like easy questions. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I think the best way is to go back to what I said earlier is for me to grow in holiness, to pray for your bishop and your priest to grow in holiness, for all of us to grow in holiness. Let me, as I, I guess this is the last question, I want to mention a book that has become very important to me that I recommend to all of you. Um, it's called In Sinu Yesu. It's Latin. I-N, next word, S-I-N-U, Sinu. Yesu, J-E-S-U. You can go to Amazon and order it. I'm not advertising, but... Um, in Sinu Yesu, it, it's written... The, the author is given as a, a Benedictine monk. No name is given. And I've found it... I encourage you all to investigate it and maybe give it to your pastor for he already has it good for him that means you got a good pastor and a good assistant thank you um but really in sinu yesu really gets back to honestly the answer to the question of the person online how do we change this for one thing i can't do it none of us this room can't do it the united states can't do it but jesus christ can and that's basically the point of Insinu Yesu, speaking to me as a bishop, speaking to the priest, and Christ reminding us as priests, stay close to him, spend hours in prayer before the blessed sacrament, know Christ, and through his priests and his priestly people, he will bring the healing and the truth that the world needs. 
and, and renew Western civilization, renew humanity. But I think that that really is a key element that, that has made a, a big difference in my life. I, I think I will continue to read this book and Sinu Yesu for the rest of my life as a bishop um, because it speaks very clearly, beautifully, about those two pillars that I already mentioned. Devotion to the real presence, body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. He's really with us. Wherever the tabernacle is in this church, he's there. Spend time in prayer before him, Eucharistic adoration, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. The book in Sinu Yesu is constantly referring the priest to be devoted to Christ in the Eucharist and devoted to his mother. And those, I think, are the answers to renewing and healing Western civilization all over again. Thank you very much for your time, Gus. Thank, Thank you. you. Dear Grace, if we could conclude with a blessing, if we could receive a blessing from you, please. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.